I think about three things that we should always be looking at. One is our purpose or our vision. I look at this as, as why we're in business, why we're doing what we're doing. There's our strategy, which is what we're focused on. And then there is the culture, how we're working. Leaders face challenges every single day. That's why Udemy Business is bringing you a new podcast called Leading Up. I'm Alan Todd, the host of Leading Up and Vice President of Udemy Business. In every episode, I have conversations with guests who share the inspiration, advice, and research you need to level up. Let's work, lead, and live differently. Right now, you're navigating difficult economic forces. You're figuring out how to do more with less. You're looking for a North Star and momentum to help you move business and life forward. This week's guest argues that company culture, alongside strategy and purpose, acts as a system to calibrate a company's North Star. We dive into the how, what, and why of culture with Melissa Daimler. Melissa has an impressive career leading transformational culture change at companies like Adobe, Twitter, and WeWork. She shares these lessons in her new book, Reculturing. She writes regularly for Forbes Magazine and Harvard Business Review. And I have the tremendous pleasure of working and learning together with Melissa as she's our Chief Learning Officer at Udemy. Melissa, welcome to the Leading Up podcast. Thank you, Alan. I'm really excited to be here with you. Yeah, awesome. You have uh, a great story and lots to tell us. So let's start with your background. You've, you've built and redefined culture, pretty exciting companies at high growth moments. Can you talk about how that all came about? Sure. When I look at my career, I've been a lifetime learner. I know know you have as well. And there are things that I've learned along the way at each one of those companies. I, I think in every one of those moments, I was a builder. I was a systems thinker. I liked to be part of fast-growing opportunities. And so there were definite themes in my career. I credit Adobe, having been there almost 11 years, with starting to think about the organization as a system and really looking at things like when we're looking at its strategy, we're also looking at culture. When we're looking at people, we're also looking at other parts of the system. And so that carried out through Twitter and through WeWork and now even at Udemy. Before we go and dive into reculturing and culture change, I'd love to just get your reflections on this extraordinary career you've had. What advice do you have for young leaders early in their career, things that worked for you that you might have that could work for someone else? Sure. I talk a lot about organizational systems, but I also talk about our own personal cultures, our own personal system. And I feel lucky that I've had a great system around me throughout my career, a very supportive husband and colleagues and friends. And I sought out mentors and coaches throughout my career. I think that because I had that, I was able to step into roles that at the time always seem like a stretch. You and I have talked about this before, but one of the key pieces of advice I, I tell everybody is say yes, even if you don't think you're ready 
it was a stretch. I didn't think I was ready, but I had people around me saying, are you kidding? Of course you're ready. Of course you can do it. And so that's one of the biggest things I tell people earlier in their career, along with the fact that most job descriptions are just V1s. You know, you can co-create a description. You can dive deeper into a particular area if you want to. None of the jobs I took were exactly what was written. So those are some pieces of advice that I give consistently. Yeah, I love it. You know, it's really interesting. We had Melanie Weaver Barnett on the podcast, and she runs executive education at the University of Michigan. And she said very nearly the same thing. It was fascinating because I said, how did you get to be at the top of this great place? And she said, basically, she had to create her own luck. So I love the consistency of that advice. I think that's powerful uh, and great to hear. So as a woman business leader, you've defied pretty incredible odds, right, to achieve what you've achieved. You lead large teams, so you've done pretty incredible things. There are there are lots of young women out there who dream about following in your footsteps and becoming captains of industry. What advice do you have for women? I would say, uh, along with the opportunity to create a system early on. I would say the other piece, and this is no surprise because we work together at a learning company, Alan, but I have been a learner my entire life. I believe in both formal education and learning through experience. So I had, again, a lot of mentors and teachers along the way who encouraged me to learn and and to dive deeper into areas that I I didn't know as much about. One of the things that I found interesting uh, is this AHP study that I learned about a few years back, and this relates to something that I just shared about going for things, even if you you think you're not ready. It did a study on men and women, and it highlighted that women wait to get into roles until they feel they have 100% of the skills they need. And men, on the other hand, I think it was like, even if they had 60% of of the skills, they were going to go for it and just learn on the job. So I think that amplifies the challenge that we have in our workforce today with women growing up mostly in a system that encourages this perfectionism and this need to think that you have to have everything figured out before you go into a role or before you start a company or do just about anything. So this reinforces the fact that you need people around you to either encourage you to go for things that you might not normally go for, learn, close that gap in whatever skill that that you need to learn. So if we have somebody listening right now and they, they have not been encouraged by their their boss, do they need to develop some courage to go and get themselves to that 60% role, like crafting their own future and having the courage? That That's at least the word that's jumping out at me. I don't know. What do you think? Going back to our, our word of luck, the quote is, I think, when preparation and opportunity meet, I've been told I've been really lucky and I've had a lucky career, but I've worked my butt off to, to have that career. In terms of courage, I think it could start with a question, just talking to as many people as as possible. And I know that itself takes courage. But I did a lot of coffee talks, 
I did a lot of informational interviews at the time and just asked people what it took for them to to get where they were. What what advice would they have? So I think over time, courage builds and you start small and ask some questions perhaps to people that you wouldn't normally talk to or questions that you wouldn't normally ask. And then it just grows from there. Great. I, I just think, you know, I found that study, you're, you shared it with me and I, th- I thought it was fascinating that that men, if they get to 60%, yep, I'm in, I'll go, and, and, and women don't. And I was kind of surprised by that. And I guess my thought was, back to you do have to create your own luck. You do have to have courage and ideally find some mentors, which you've described. So you are a big believer in systems thinking. And I, I love that. You and I connected on that like immediately. And, and so I just wanted to sort of frame this with Peter Senge's book, The Fifth Discipline. I think the Harvard Business Review called it one of the top 75 books of the last century, like a really important book. And he describes these disciplines, these four disciplines, but ultimately the title of the book is The Fifth Discipline, and The Fifth Discipline is one that ties it all together, and it's systems thinking. So I'm wondering, and and you've written about it, I mean, it's essentially the thread through the whole idea of reculturing is, is doing a systems approach. So I'd love to hear you just describe a little bit about systems thinking and how you connect that to culture. Sure. I mean, Peter Senge was a a big influencer in my career. I loved that book, The Fifth Discipline. As you said, I I have really leveraged systems thinking throughout my career, starting at Adobe. You know, I think how Peter describes systems thinking is in a couple of ways. One is it's always important to not just react to what's in front of you and to the presenting issue. It's really important to kind of get underneath and understand what are some of the bigger issues underlying that presenting issue, perhaps. And that started as a theme early in my career. People would come to me, leaders would come to me and and say that they had a particular issue. And instead of trying to resolve that particular issue, I asked a lot of questions and I tried to get underneath what was really happening. And usually it was never the presenting issue that they gave. So it wasn't about training or it wasn't about communication. It might've been about their own leadership dynamic or it could have been about how they were organized. It could have been multiple issues. So I think one important aspect of systems thinking is really to dive in and look at some of the issues that are at the surface. You know, I think it's fascinating what you just said, which is the presenting problem is almost never the problem. And that 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 probably summarizes my sort of experience. And it's really fascinating because it makes you wonder how many people are out solving the wrong problem everywhere. It must be, you know, an enormous amount of people. All right, so give us an analogy. I know you have a good analogy for systems thinking. <laughs> that was a good setup, <laughs> Alan. Yeah, so I talk about this in my book. I My dad had just influenced my life in, in a lot of ways. And I grew up in the Midwest. We had a lot of lakes. And we sailed this boat named Timpani. It was a small uh, 23-foot boat. And we would go out sailing almost every Saturday 
it was a lot of good lessons. I would be looking at the sale and my dad would say, you know, you have to look ahead. You also have to make sure that that line is is a little tighter and you have to watch the rudder and you have to watch how the boat is tilted. You have to manage your crew, which happened to be my sister. So at the time, I obviously didn't know it, but my dad was teaching me systems thinking because systems thinking is also about not just looking at one piece, one part. It's looking at how all those parts work together. I think that's such a good analogy for the organization because, again, working with leaders my entire career and even you know looking at my own work, it was always about more than one thing or two things. I was always looking at how to leverage one piece of the system to help another piece of the system. And I was really fascinated and committed to making sure that that system connects in a logical way. I got frustrated, and it was part of the reason I wrote the book, the fact that we don't reference and leverage the system as much as we could. And we make everything much too complex for the employee, rather than continuing to focus on what part of the system we're talking about and how that connects to to other parts. Yeah, and you also described the system as if you if you take one thing away, it would kind of break the system to show the importance of the interrelatedness. We'll be back after a short break. Stay with us. buzz around Gen AI isn't going anywhere. Leaders and managers are key to identifying how their companies can use the technology and creating a plan to grow their employees' skills. Learn how Udemy can help at business.udemy.com forward slash Gen AI now. We're kicking off a new year. It looks like it's going to be a tougher year for many of our listeners, right? This is what we're hearing. I'd like to hear your thoughts on why systems thinking is important right now. Why should leaders be thinking about that as as part of their problem-solving toolkit, I suppose, going into this year, 2023? I think about the system in a very... Uh, it's complex, but I define it in a very simple way. I think about three things that we should always be looking at. One is our purpose or our vision. I look at this as, as why we're in business, why we're doing what we're doing. There's our strategy, which is what we're focused on. And then there is the culture, how we're working. And we learned a lot through the pandemic in understanding that those three always had to work together. We've known that for a long time, but I I think during tough times, that gets amplified even more. This need to reinforce that system of the why, what, and how. And so going into this year, I, I think it's important to remind employees, continue to communicate why we're doing what we're doing and what we're doing. So if we're holding back on our budgets, explaining the reasoning for that. If we're concerned about hiring, 
bringing employees along. I, I think sometimes we don't give employees enough credit and trust employees to do the right thing. But I have always found if you just communicate and bring them along to help solve the problem, then it's it's so much easier. And oftentimes, they have better solutions than we do. So those are just some things that I, I think about, especially going into challenging times again. Connecting purpose, strategy, and culture, right? And it sounds beautiful, right? And logical and creates synergy. But my sense is that a lot of people listening think their leaders aren't good at that, right? They're 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 like, wow, it doesn't work at doesn't work that way here. So I'm imagining the eye rollers. Why, why do you think that is? Why is it so prevalent that those things aren't aligned? I think I, I understand the eye rollers. I think I've been an eye roller myself. A lot of times it's just talk. We talk about the purpose, but then we don't reference it against our, our daily work. We don't talk about the stories of, of our purpose and our vision. You know, we at Udemy have such a beautiful purpose and mission to improve lives through learning. And, and, you know, I know a lot of people on my team, a lot of employees, that gets them up every day. That inspires them to do what they're doing. We hear stories about instructors and people who have learned skills that they never would have learned before. So I think bringing the purpose to life and referencing it as an active thing is really important. Same with strategy and culture. I think with culture, first defining it, not as just values on a wall or playing a game of, of ping pong, but but really codifying culture into more behavioral actions and then holding each other accountable for those actions that we created together. It wasn't HR in a corner coming up with this list. We created those, you know, kind of expectations, if you will, of how to work together. And they need to be reviewed just like a strategy is, is reviewed. So I think the point of all that, Alan, is that none of those pieces are static. You know, that we're always looking at, again, especially in hard times, challenging times, how those can come alive, how we're actually living those through stories, examples, and even, you know, kind of our own processes and, and practices. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And and I love how the simplicity of connecting those three things together in a system and then your whole overarching argument, which is systems thinking, you know, it's very much sort of complements the fifth discipline thinking, but as you apply it to purpose, strategy, and culture. One thing I loved from the book that I wrote down and, and thought about a lot was that culture is cultivate and nurture. And you went into some of the etymology of it. I found that to be really fascinating. Yeah, I was surprised in researching culture that, first of all, it's been around for 70 years. I had no idea. It's from a Latin word, colere, which means actively fostering growth. So in a sense, it already was based on a verb, not a noun. And, and so it was such a great discovery for me because, as you said, it reinforced the fact that culture is not just this one-off initiative that is, again, just a, a set of values, but it, but it's an active set of actions that, that we have to live every day. And I think one of the things that I'm really passionate about is that we embed those behaviors into 
our processes and our practices and even the skills we're learning. You know, you and I have talked, Alan, about how so many organizations, they don't do that really important piece of mapping their content so that there's some logical context of the why I'm even bothering to learn these skills. You know, why does this matter to me in this organization now? And when I can connect those back to our behaviors and what's important in me being a a successful employee there, it motivates me and inspires me to build those skills actively. I've had the uh, a front row seat to watch you drive alignment between our written values at Udemy, the ones that are on the wall, our purpose, our strategy, and connecting that to behaviors and actions, right? And I see it, and I see the magic that's happening. I, so so I, I've been able to watch it. And I'm wondering if you could talk about how, how did you do that? Specifically, what steps did you take that, that others might be able to follow? They're sitting in their organization. How, how, do, I, how do I create that, that magic, that system? Well, first of all, it's it's not just me. It's it's a team of people. This is a co-created set of actions. It's not uh, one person. It's not the head of HR. It's not even the CEO. I, I think it was really important that we look at our own values together and identify what those behaviors are together. And so the leadership team was very much involved in looking at our values. I think This is a classic case of a company that was fine. You know, I get a question often about, should we reculture or should we build our culture only when something is wrong or where we think something is is not right and then we should do it? And obviously, no. I mean, I think you should always be reviewing your culture. And we had a great culture here already, but we wanted to define it more specifically. So we added a value and then added, added behaviors. But We did that with employees across the globe as well. We wanted every role, every function, every level, every tenure to be represented. And so we did that. And we also uh, were able to make sure that we had that lens of, of diversity and inclusion. So instead of having a separate value around, we call it Betty, uh, belonging, equity, diversity, and inclusion, we wove that into all of the behaviors. Yeah, that's exactly what's working, that system in place at Udemy. For those that are listening that are maybe at a team leader or team level where they work, can they reculture? Do teams have cultures? Can they be worked on and improved? So, I, you know, I'm not at the top of the house. I'm not a CLO. I can't go do what you did. Can we do a miniature version of that? Have you seen that? Do people try that? Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I wanted everybody to have some agency in building culture. It is a playbook for everybody. I I think if you're a manager or even on a team, I think first just looking at the values and how are those showing up, asking questions on, you know, if teamwork is, is a value, how would we know we're being a good team? When we're working together effectively as a team, what are we doing? What are we not doing? So first, just asking questions and doing a little discovery around how much culture is or is not showing up. And then if the answer is no, then you have an opportunity 
to start codifying that more than culture is is today in your organization. Yeah, I love that, that people should have agency. And that's part of your book's appeal, right? Is that it, it reaches that broad audience. It's not written for only that senior leader that's doing it for the whole enterprise, right? This is applicable to, to everybody. So let's talk about some lessons learned. You've, you've worked at some pretty exciting companies, including you to me, and we're growing really fast. But I want to do a rapid fire here, see if we can get a lesson from each one. Let's start with Adobe. You led a team to evolve culture, reinforce connection and values and practices. This was where you got it all started. What did that teach you about that high integrity organizational culture? I learned a lot at Adobe. I, I was able to work across the organization. I, I was a people partner there working with the engineering leaders to the sales leaders. So I, I got a really good idea of what happens on the front lines in, in each business. I worked with Donna Morris, who wrote the foreword to my book, and she taught me such a, a big lesson that I've also carried throughout my career around business and strategy are really important. And we know that behind every business problem is a people problem, but you always need to be a, a business leader first, regardless of, of the function. So I've always kept that with me. Adobe, fast-growing company, a lot of changes. We didn't call it that at the time, but a lot of reculturing was done there as we evolved our strategy, as, as we we changed our our values three times while I was there, mapped them to our skills and our leadership experiences. So just had a lot of good learning at Adobe. Twitter was an opportunity to build a function from scratch and uh, it reinforced this importance of the manager. I know a lot of people listening are, are managers. I think it's the hardest role in an organization. And so we were able to kind of codify what was important to Twitter and, and the skills needed for managers there and build out those learning experiences through cohorts. So I, I learned how to really do things from scratch quickly. Yeah, I love it. I think it's important to note that while you were there, you went from 1,000 to nearly 5,000 people. So it's like a five-fold increase there in revenue from 300 million to almost 3 billion. So like 10x revenue. So it had to be a crazy environment. I want to get to your thoughts on current, but not yet. I just, let's let's swim in the pond of Twitter in its heyday when you were there. I think that was a really formative set of lessons. And, and obviously you played a critical role in driving something that was a, you know, a massive growth engine. It seemed like the Adobe story, so many foundational things that you built in your sort of leadership toolkit. On that one, I was just curious, was there anything you did to connect learning strategy to business strategy? Yeah. I mean, we were at the time going through a lot of change as an organization, really trying to figure out what our strategy was, how to prototype quickly, how to innovate. And we had a lot of new leaders. We had a lot of people who were coming in as who have never led before. And so some of the things that we were seeing in the business in terms of being able to innovate quickly and be able to not be afraid to get out, you know, kind of the first prototype to be able to do things like design thinking and listening to what our, our users needed. 
those directly tied in to what we were teaching in some of our management courses. And so we taught skills around how how do you get out the first prototype? How do you do something as simple as a postmortem after a, an initiative to really learn what worked, what didn't work? We actively, as we were growing, we were looking at the skills that that were gaps in the organization and directly addressing them in some of the, the management courses. And then you departed Silicon Valley and you moved to New York. So tell us about WeWork. WeWork was reinventing the world of work worth supposedly nearly $100 billion. <laughs> so the numbers were all over. So what's what's the takeaway there? I wanted to get out of the Silicon Valley bubble. I wanted to go into a different industry. I wanted to expand my scope. I had the opportunity to not just do organizational development and learning, but also talent acquisition. And so the idea of looking at that full process of not just hiring, but developing employees was really appealing to me. And I think WeWork had a really cool concept. And while I did see red flags, I talk about some of those in the book, some were funnier than others, I thought that I could make a positive impact. I thought I could help make that change. But this was yet another lesson, Alan, in systems thinking, because while it's really fun to do a documentary and a movie and, and write two books on Adam Newman, it was a system that failed. There was the CEO, Adam, but there was also the leadership team who had a lot of new leaders. It wasn't a diverse team. There was a board that wasn't willing to push back. There were values on the wall that, you know, frankly, weren't being modeled daily through behaviors. So there were cracks in the system already there. And one of the other things I talk about a lot is this opportunity to evolve your practices as you evolve as as a company. And that wasn't happening either. So I think the lessons were just reiterating the fact that that culture and strategy are important. Strategy straight away, you know, there were there was an investment in wave pools while I was there. I now can say I appreciate that opportunity because it reinforced the importance of of culture that much more. So I'm curious in leadership literature, they talk about sort of charismatic leadership as a type. And one of your funny stories in the book is that uh, you meet Adam and he's barefoot. And it made me think of Steve Jobs who walked around barefoot a lot. And do you think he thought he was a Steve Jobs? Was Was it that kind of thing or no? It's an interesting question. I think it's really important that you define your own leadership style. We need to learn from others. And there's so many good leaders out there like a Steve Jobs, but he, we know he wasn't perfect either. And so, you know, what are some of the positive attributes and leadership traits that we can bring into our own leadership style? But then I think it's really important that you take time and reflect on how you want to lead. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. And th- there's a lot to be learned in the failures, right? So I think about Theranos. Why do we study Theranos? Why do we study WeWork? Why are we fascinated with FTX? So this, this is the bonus question. Twitter now has kind of some infamous stories about leadership and culture in the last several months since Elon Musk took over. What do you make 
of that from a leadership perspective? Is there anything we can learn? Have you found a silver lining? Is there a lesson? Can you square up some goods and bads? The Twitter that I worked at is no longer around. That's gone. Even with WeWork and Twitter together, it reinforces that culture isn't static yet again. You have to keep investing in that. And with Twitter, it's interesting because I'm connected to the alumni network uh, of Twitter. It's a very active alumni network. We say we bleed blue. I have some of my closest friends I, I met at Twitter. And we have a Slack channel. We're actively trying to help people find jobs and look at their resumes. And it, it's really moving to, to be part of that. I think what's happening now you know, if we look at it from a business standpoint, we've all been through layoffs. I mean, we we know that there are some business decisions as leaders that aren't great. They're not fun. But sometimes you have to do them. But again, it goes back to the what and how. Even if you had to do that at Twitter and let go of that many people, how it's done can be done in a way that is respectful and in a way that it inspires not just people that have left, but people that remain. You know, I think about layoffs that we had to do at Adobe. And I remember I was in the elevator with Bruce Chisholm, the CEO at the time. And one of the people that we would had just let go was literally carrying a, a box in the elevator. And he just, he looked at, at Bruce and said, you know, thank you. Thanks for treating me with respect. And right up until the last day. And that, that has stuck with me. And so again, you know, I think with Elon, he's, provocative and he likes to be provocative, but at the expense of treating people in a way that is just inexcusable. So it's disheartening to see leaders like that who frankly have had some success in the past, but I, I do believe that the system does does catch up to you. So it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens. So you're, you're not supposing that anyone left Twitter with a box in their hand saying <laughs> thank you to Elon Musk in the yeah. elevator? That I can guarantee that, yeah. Okay, so we're about to wrap up. And there's a question that we love to ask all of our guests. What are you curious about and learning now? Inside work, outside of work, anything. Oh man, there's so much. This is going to sound funny, but I'm learning how to embrace Asana <laughs> better. I look at my own system a lot, and I'm always looking at how to be more effective with my time and with my priorities. And my team is very much, uh, um, not all of them, but a lot of them are, are liking Asana as a, as a collaboration tool. So I'm actually taking a course on, on Udemy on how to use Asana more effectively. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Going full circle. I'm continuing to stretch myself and, and continuing to learn how to be a better leader, how to be a better colleague, and probably putting more on my plate than I can handle. And so as my plate gets bigger, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that my, my own system can handle it. And so I'm always looking at productivity tools and ways of working that can help me scale, but can also help my team scale. Beautiful. Melissa Daimler, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. This was fun, Alan. Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from you to me. Want to hear more from amazing leaders? 
follow the podcast on your favorite podcasting app, such as Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. That way you never miss an episode. I hope you learned something new from this episode. If you did, please leave a review in your favorite podcasting app or share this episode with a friend or colleague. We love to share the wealth of knowledge. To learn more about Leading Up or how Udemy can help you close skill gaps and move business forward, visit business.udemy.com. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex Vickmanis, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard.